Welcome to this week's episode of the CPG View, the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders. On this week's episode of the CPG View, we sit with Julia McDonald. If you haven't heard of her, you're one of the few. She had a tweet go viral a few months ago regarding the McKinsey seven-step framework. And in this episode, we dive deep into the world of problem solving using that framework specifically tailored for the CPG industry. Julia shares her expertise on prioritizing challenges and finding innovative solutions using the SPQA method. We also discuss the power of the pyramid principle in effectively communicating with stakeholders and the importance of taking a holistic view to uncover groundbreaking solutions in the CPG space. Enjoy. Okay, Julia, welcome to the CPG View. So honored to have you. Before I ask you to introduce yourself, I just want to say to the audience, if you follow me and you see value in things that I share, you need to follow Julia. She shared an article. It was sometime last year that I stumbled upon it, and it just was so eloquently laid out and I got so much value from it and I've shared it with so many of my friends in our space so shameless plug for for you Julia uh, which so now as you please introduce yourself <laughs> thank you so much Don and uh, thank you for having me I love your podcast it's, it's truly truly an honor uh, yeah so I'm Julia McDonald and I support startups uh, with go-to-market sales and marketing um, basically over eight years, I've been a mentor and I still am in different accelerators. So really uh, our topic of conversation, the seven-step framework, it was my attempt to bring some of the strategic consulting best practices that companies like McKinsey use for decades to the world of fast-growing startups. Um, and those startups actually face more decisions than some of the traditional uh, companies um, out there. So. Yeah, excited I, to be here. I love that. And I just, in my own words, before we get into the some of the these questions more specifically, so I went straight to your uh, too long, did not read at first. So your seven-step framework and, and uh, you know, for me, so it's gather the facts, build an issue tree, make the impact clear, set the stage with SPQA, which we can dive more into that, understand the big picture, look, big picture, formulate an initial hypothesis, and then persuade with the pyramid principle. Just the hypothesis comes earlier, but yeah, ah, other than ah, that. Oh, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think what I'll do, um, Julia, is make sure that I link your article to this when we release it. So I think the visuals here are are so compelling. I Even, even this morning, I was talking with a, a team member of mine, and you know, we were tackling a pretty complex problem and, you, you know, whether you're talking about sales or you talk about margin or you're talking about market share, oftentimes it's just, it's just complex, um, whether it's a certain number of items or, and I think what I found with your, I, you know, again, shamelessly, I, I shared this with my team and said, Hey, let's, let's take everything we can here and apply it if it's useful to us. And 
we were actually were doing that uh, just today. So I just wanted to mention that. That's great to hear. You know, I'm, I'm, my biggest goal is to have impact. If I can help one person, then I have succeeded in my mind. And uh, Don, I think you're absolutely correct. Not only are a lot of business problems those days so complex, but also if you notice most, most leaders have sort of a preconceived notion of where the problem is, which generally uh, could be directionally accurate. But if you just go with your initial feeling, you could ignore potentially other facts and other information that an issue tree, for instance, will make really clear. So you can still prioritize what you think the problem is, but in an absence of a rigorous process, our tendency is to just go what we think uh, with what we think is correct ignoring potentially other causes of the problem or even contributing factors, which it could be really detrimental. No, that that's, that's very helpful. So let me actually restate it one more time. So I got the, actually, Julia, why don't, I'll cut my, my words out. I've got your words on my screen, but would you say, what are the seven steps the seven-step framework before we dive into your questions here. For sure, right. So you start by gathering facts. Uh, so you actually understand, you know, what kind of problem you're dealing with. Is there there is a problem, or you know, it could be imaginary. And then once you see some of the facts, you want to formulate initial hypotheses. This is especially important if you are dealing with a really complex problem. If I was like, for instance, advising a public company, when I do that, I really don't know. There's so many areas the problem could be. It's good to say, okay, we are going to test that the hypothesis, the problem is with the distribution, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, then you start building the issue tree for that area um, uh, of the company, you know, representing all the drivers that could affect and that could cause this particular problem. Um, and then you uh, basically start solving the, along the issue tree mm -hmm. uh, to, to figure out which of these um, factors could actually contribute. A super important step that I think people um, overlook is diving out and seeing the big picture. So that's a step in itself that I define. You, if you found that 20 things are wrong, is there a common thread, right? Is there a big thing that the company is missing, which has caused all these little repercussions? Um, and then the SPQA framework is really a communication tool to bring people up to speed, especially stakeholders who have no idea. And uh, pyramid principle is essentially a different communication tool, which helps you communicate when people already know and are brought up to speed uh, of what the problem is. So you could actually use them concurrently. Um, and basically that's it, yeah. I love it, I love it. Um, okay, great. So can we, I wanted to dive in here. So in your experience working with CPGs, CPGs or non-CPGs, but this audience uh, is CPG focused. How have you seen the seven-step framework specifically help companies tackle their unique challenges, whether it's managing supply chains, optimi optimizing pricing strategies, or understanding consumer preferences? Yes, absolutely. So I think especially for CPG, because this is also um, you know kind of a great industry to pick the seven-step framework has been, I think, really, really impactful um, to understand how to systematize all these different issues and how to go through them in a correct order. And sometimes just because you apply a rigorous process, you end up in a completely different place. 
Um, a CPG industry has a number of unique challenges that others don't. In particular, the number of external and internal factors impacting your revenue and profit are significantly larger, right? So if you are selling enterprise software, okay, you're selling software, you don't have to deal with your packaging, like the distribution channels, just those two factors alone, you could have hundreds of different things you could change that the customers would not love and then they suddenly fall out. You, you have less competition typically and the competing scene doesn't uh, you know, change every other day. Customers won't suddenly dislike the the software because they had a bad morning or you know because they now are liking something else. So the number of variables in the CPG industry is much larger, and it means you need more rigorous process. Um, an example I have is actually more for a huge retailer, but it's very applicable this, for this one. When they hired us, they were extremely focused on cost cutting, and they saw their future is in beating online. And so we built them, you know, uh, we gathered all the facts and built the issue tree, and then eventually we proved to them that unfortunately they can't compete online which is kind of also evident nowadays but because of the issue tree we could find some strengths that were present in their brick and mortar um, business that customers loved and we focused refocused their attention on the other part of the issue tree on actually increasing their revenue with value-added activities as opposed to cutting cost so that way their whole strategy basically shifted because they didn't just go one line of thinking and kind of stay with it as they would otherwise if they didn't have the entire map, but rather they were more flexible. No, that's 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 interesting. I, I could see how the the framework and the uh, at an overview, a high level, the simplicity of the framework is it's I think the the it allows you to focus on what matters. Obviously, it's it's a not simple process. I'm sure it's an arduous process with many nuances. And so, but the, the fact that it's, it, it, you can, um, you can follow the, you can follow it clearly and cleanly, which is why it resonated so much with me. And by the way, I think why it resonated with 4 million views on Twitter, and I don't even know how many on LinkedIn, but um, so no, that's a great, uh, great point. So I wanted to ask you this, when, when building an issue tree for CPG companies, how would you recommend to prioritize the various challenges they face, whether it's market competition, changing consumer behaviors, sustainability, how do you address them in the most effective way? Absolutely. That's, that's a great, great question, Don. So um, my experience is first you start by gathering facts, right? And that's a really, really crucial step that actually a lot of people skip. And then they go into an issue tree that basically they already know what they're going to explore, which makes the whole exercise useless. Mm. When you are gathering facts, you start to get a sense of which of these areas sort of some big changes have happened, which helps you to prioritize you know, the issue tree going down the areas, okay, we've seen some facts that indicate there might be a problem in this particular area. Let's start with this one. And that's basically our hypothesis. Once we go and, you know, if we see no impact there, we can move down. As an example, um, I was recently working with a company, say broadly in the food and beverage space. And we have 
seen the complaint was that their um, operating margins were declining. Once we started looking, gathering initial facts, we saw that their cost per acquisition is increasing, right? That it's, it's more and more expensive to get a certain customer. And that led me to prioritize the part of the issue tree, which had to do with advertising, traction channels, figuring out you know, how, uh, what kind of uh, return on ad spend they get. Because I went down that line, I started seeing that all of their ads are comparative based. So they're constantly competing, putting themselves against other brands. Like we're better, we're better. And then I started looking more and more into how do they position themselves? What kind of copywriting is out there? And when I then took the step back, right, this big picture after going down that issue tree and collecting more additional facts, I realized this brand actually never learned how to attract customers with their own value propositions. Okay, what makes us unique? What makes us really cool? Rather, they were always in this mode of, mode of we're better than X. But what happens over time is there's more competition, right? And the competition becomes more sophisticated. So this if you only know how to be more than better than X and X is becoming cooler, then it's harder for you and more expensive to attract these customers away from competition. So over time, the, the customer cost of acquisition was going up, up, up and up and their business was becoming unprofitable. So that's an example of prioritizing things against the initial facts and then seeing that big picture, then they changed the whole strategy of the company towards let's actually learn how we can um, you know, advertise for our own value propositions. Uh, I love that. I love that. So I heard you talk about gathering the facts, building the issue tree. You've mentioned the issue tree several times and, and, you know, understanding the big picture. So I can see just in hearing you in our brief conversation, how if you can anchor your thoughts and your activities and your focus around the steps, it, it really gives you a process that you can consistently lean into to solve yeah. very complex problems. Yeah, it really does. Well, um, okay, so switching gears here, in the context of, CP, of the CPG industry, could you share an example where using the SPQA for those you know, first-time listeners here of, of, uh, of you or... Or, or the CPG view in this case, the situation, problem, question, and answer approach method led you to the discovery of, of an innovative solution or helped a company address an emerging market trend. Right. Um, so I, I have a great example of how the, the framework itself, the, the seven-step framework led to this uh, in kind of innovative solution. And then the SPQA is really the way we inform the stakeholders. So that's one, that piece is more of how do we communicate it? Uh, and really here we were working with one of the actual biggest CPG companies in the world. And they had like a very broad complaint that one of their brands, Chips, Chips brand was just losing popularity. The sales were declining. So when I built that issue tree, I realized Again, there is 
sort of hundreds of variables that are in place in such a big complex brand. Like it could be that they've changed some of their packaging. They, the market conditions have been changing. The uh, distribution, traction, advertising channels, all of them have been constantly changing. So I was kind of puzzled. How do I find the data that would prove or disprove it? So at that point, we use this. We had this innovative insight, which I think nowadays, maybe a few years later, it's been only a few years, but things have changed. Is probably not as innovative. So just mm -hmm. like giving that caveat. But what we did back then is we uh, went and we gathered Amazon reviews, the text. It's like for each brand, because we're talking about huge brands here, and we fed it into a machine learning algorithm, one that is uh, what is called unsupervised learning. We, we don't know what it do, it's doing. It's like a black box. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, cluster this text around topics of conversation on your own. We don't know. We don't know what people, 4,000 reviews. And let's then see if there is certain topics that emerged in the last period that where the sales were declining. And we did that for that brand and for their competitors. And the algorithm clustered around specific topics, we could isolate the fact that a lot of people started complaining about uh, broken chips. Mm. So uh, that's incredible because the company was thinking, okay, maybe the flavors are not good. We're just testing new flavors. Maybe customers don't love it. Maybe it's like Gen Z has arrived. They don't love chips, like everything. Mm -hmm. But they never actually suspected that everything is correct with their product. But something changed in the shipping. So customers were just getting chips that were shredded to pieces, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and that seems obvious, but unless you are monitoring, if you have thousands of brands, you're a huge CPG company and you're monitoring all the reviews, which again, a few years ago, nobody was doing. I think right now there's much more tools. You could not catch that. So right. that's how the, the, the framework led to this innovative solution, which we then presented to stakeholders using this, okay, where we're at, we have this brand, which has an issue. Um, what's the problem? Okay, sales are dis um, declining. What kind of questions are we asking ourselves, right? There is maybe 50 questions uh, depending on answering which we would figure out what's happening. So how could we gather data to answer all of them at once? And that's the, there is the innovative solution which led us to figure out which of these variables caused it. Uh, so that's so interesting. And Gosh, I think about my experience and years, whether it was, you know, magic uh, permanent markers or whether it was glue or whether it was cookware or whether it was, you know, uh, reusable plastic containers or any of many of the folks that have been on the CPG view that work at, uh, you know, the biggest the big, some of the biggest CPGs out there, right? Whether it's cereal or to your point, chips or chocolate or what have you. Yeah, that's that's a really, it's interesting how just hearing you speak, how I think some executives within the CPG space, probably you mentioned it in the very beginning, can almost have a point of view of what they believe to be the right answer. And they all, they start going down that path before. So you almost like assume they're down that path. Yeah. And I think what's, what I found really unique in your approach that you laid out is it's a very systematic way in which you make sure you kind of are addressing any of your biases, you know, okay. left or right. You're just like, so I, I think that's extremely valuable. Yeah. And I, yeah, your chip example is a great one. Thank you, Don. I, I think really here, 
this is inspired by science, right? It's part of this scientific method of saying, as a scientist, I can't afford to just go down the road of here is what I think the theory is and that's it. Scientists have this tendency of systematically proving and disproving hypotheses and like checking out certain branches of uh, uh, formulas, whatever to go down. And, and so why don't we use it in a real world with real problems, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the difference between baking with very specific measurements as opposed to cooking with eyeballing things and using your gut. When you're managing multi-billions of dollars on P&Ls and EBITDA, you'd almost rather have the scientific approach, yeah. right? Because every, yeah. every dollar matters. So, um, okay, awesome. Well, I wanted to ask you on, you, you know, how has the pyramid principle been particularly helpful in presenting solutions to CPG stakeholders? And are there any communication strategies you have found especially effective in this sector? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I will talk about the pyramid principle, and then I have two more for you. <laughs> so okay. um, stay tuned, guys. Yeah. So first of all, pyramid principle is my favorite. And I really think it's you know just CPG, any executive uh, would love to be presented, you know, using the pyramid principle. Uh, the way I basically make uh, biggest uh, use of it is that I can work with uh, people who are basically just starting in the CPG industry or any industry and train them to talk to executives within a matter of months. Um, and that actually changed the way I ran a consulting business, a multimillion consulting business, because instead of having typical structure where it's like one um, engagement manager, four people and 20 interns, and they're all silent. And when one person is talking, mm -hmm. I trained everyone to go out there and present to executives right away. Why does it work? Is because you do a lot of these prep work in advance. You come up with a recommendation, right? And you communicate recommendation first, then you bring um, the evidence that supports your recommendation. And then you put the facts, you know, on the slide or, you know, on your own page mm -hmm. uh, in case those are needed by the executives. And then what does it do is as an executive, uh, you are not sitting out there waiting to figure out what is it that these people actually want to do and why. Rather, you are given the answer first. If you want to understand uh, why they came to this conclusion, what's the evidence, you can ask or you can read the slide deck, etc. But a lot of times the executives actually don't need to ask for all these uh, evidence points. They don't want that. They just want to know what is it that you're recommending? Let's do it, right? Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how much time and effort it saves to have these kind of, we have decided that you, know, you guys should do this. Here are three reasons. If you want to know more, let's chat about it. That's the pyramid principle, basically. Um, so that's the one method of communication and then i have two more that are my favorite before if, before, uh, before you no no we, we certainly do and before you yeah. discuss those two more i i think there's also applicability here to you know we're discussing cpgs and the whether it's a internal communication to an executive in a cpg company but i also can see a lot of applicability to what you're saying and your approach presenting to other stakeholders, to uh, customers, right? I mean, some of the biggest you know, retailers that many of these CPGs engage with, I, I think 
you get to, you know, the more you're in these, you, the more that we're all in those meetings, uh, whether they're, you know, annual negotiation meetings or whether they're joint business plan meetings or whether they're three-year strat plan meetings, whatever they are, the approach that you just mentioned, I could see going over very well, uh, no matter whether you're on the retailer side or on the brand side. Yep, exactly. If if the, if all communication goes this way, half the meetings will not happen. And that's a good thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So what were your other two? Yeah. So two of my favorites. First one is what I call the three so what principle. <laughs> so I basically um, have been giving this advice, you know, over the years to for people to ask themselves when they come to some sort of a conclusion, you ask yourself, so what? And then you do that several times because people tend to stop at an early insight um, and then not derive those last sort of additional insights that the executive really needs. Uh, as an example, say, you know, you're saying, okay, interest rates are going up. Um, and then you just like inform your team about it. Just mm -hmm. interest rates went up, you go out there and you're writing everyone, interest rates went up, let's like have a meeting. Mm -hmm. Instead, why don't you sort of think through that implication? Okay, maybe our projects XYZ might become unprofitable because now, you know, if you take bank loans for those projects, they're going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so what? Uh, again, you know, that's where a lot of people would stop at this first. So what? They would say, okay, now projects are unprofitable. Let's talk about it. But instead they would say, okay, if I think through it, maybe one of these projects will still have to do it because it's so essential. The other two, maybe I can postpone or I can switch them with projects that don't require bank loans. And ultimately the return on investment is better now that the interest rates have come up. So now that you've done all these calculations with the several so what's, you actually have a recommendation where you have to reprioritize one of the three that is essential and then switch the other two with something that doesn't require bank loans as a high, complete hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So once you've done all these three so what's, you call the same exact meeting and you go and with the pyramid principle, you start by saying, I recommend that we do this project and then switch the other two because uh, interest rates went up and that makes the other projects unprofitable, but we could do these new projects without have taking bank loans. You see how your as a as an as an executive communication, this is a totally different uh, uh, game. It's a game changer because now you have given them a, an immediate solution to a problem that people didn't even know existed. You've thought everything through, and in an in a, an ideal world, in a scenario that I think will happen pretty often, people will just say, "Yeah, let's do it." That's the end of it. Let's do it. And you've gone to the point where you want it. That's the one. And then the second one is somewhat uh, related in what I call the relevancy principle. So when I see a lot of times people communicate to customers or any stakeholders, they will give facts without connecting them to the big problem that the stakeholder has or why the customer is you know, approaching you. So they'll say a, a typical consulting conversation will be like, okay, market uh, is shifting. The whole slide is going to be your competitors are doing X, Y, Z. Uh, this new game, this new player has entered, etc. And then the question that I come in and ask is like, how does this, how does this affect the customer? Don't think that that person you're talking to can make all these implications themselves. That's not their job. It's your job if you're communicating to them. Every time you say something, add the relevancy. So you, there's a new player. 
However, we don't think it's going to impact your business because they're in a different space or because their customers don't like them, whatever. Or we think that this new player will actually threaten your business quite substantially. You're saying the same, it's the same initial uh, statement comes with a very different relevancy for the customer. So don't skip that relevancy step, always tie everything to the original problem. That's, you know, that's really interesting. I could, your first example, I so can personally relate to that being in meetings and you, you almost feel as though you're hunting for clues. Yes. You, you know, to your point earlier, you were discussing it's, what is it, you, you know, you, you certainly don't want to be rude um, and you don't want to rush anyone to, you know, what, what's, what's the point here? Um, but you're, you're, you're kind of like trying to piece for clues. And I think, you know, um, so that's one thing I think, as I hear, heard you talk about the first point and the second point, so many times, you know, I've seen that in my journey of on the first line of questioning, someone um, perhaps can get kind of shut down and, and, Hey, I think we, this is what's happening. And this is where I think we should go. And then to your point, I could see the the um, going a couple, going three, quite three so what's in really ensures that, and again, I'm putting this in my own terms, right? Your terms are a little bit different, but it ensures that you've really, I'm air quoting here, thought through the problem, the situation and the recommendation. So it's almost if you can have the discipline and the awareness to make sure you're going, you know, to you, you know, your words, three so what's, you really are communicating much more effectively uh, to an executive. And then I think the other thing too, the lat, the second point you said, which I think, and again, I'm putting myself in the in the in the shoes here of someone receiving messages. A lot of times you get the headline, but you don't get that final point that you were just making. Yeah. Like, you, you know, prices are rising or market shares shifting or our competitors zagging. And you're just, okay, is that good? Is that bad? Why what should you, I care? Is why the question. should I care? Yeah. And, and uh, so I can certainly, no, that's, that's terrific. That is, that is really terrific. And I could, I could see the value in that for sure. So I wanted to ask you one more question, and that is understanding the big picture is crucial when solving problems in the CPG industry, even as part of your framework. Can can you discuss uh, a specific, for instance, where taking a holistic view of a CPG's company's challenge led to a more effective or innovative solution that might have been overlooked with a narrower focus? Yeah, I think actually it's a little it's 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 more or less the same example the most effective one that i brought with the company in the food and beverage industry um going down initially what we thought was a problem with customer purchase acquisition costs and then everyone was thought okay this is a situation where we're not doing meta or google ads effectively let's fight some bidding wars let's change you know how we uh start those campaigns how much we bid how frequently we bid you know all of these great tools that advertisers have and they're like ready to go to war with it but then as i started forming that big picture 
And I took a step back and I said, okay, guys, everything I'm seeing here is comparative advertising. Why are we better than brand X? Why are we better than the bride, brand B, C, mm -hmm. et cetera? The mm -hmm. executives actually confirmed it. They said, hey, we're doing awesome with this strategy. That's what we know how to do. It's worked for us for a decade um, and it's, it's a great strategy. But then when you, you know, take the holistic time horizon view, you see that certain things change over time, especially the market competition. Those brands against whom it was quite cheap and, and, and simple to compare themselves against because we, that brand was so much better five years ago, now that gap has narrowed, right? Because these guys also are working. Mm -hmm. Plus new brands are entering. So it's now way more expensive to just simply say, we are better than X. Mm. And taking that big picture perspective, instead of giving what we initially thought would be recommendation how to tweak their being strategies, we said, guys, you need to, in addition to what you know what you're doing uh, in, in a comparative space, you really need to go into a whole new set of advertisements that talk about your brand. Why, why should people come to you to begin with? Not because you're better than X, but because you are this brand and it stands for all these value propositions. Um, so if we don't dive out of these like micro problems, we will always, I think, operate on a tactical level where we're changing little, little things, tweaking meta, tweaking Google ads, mm -hmm. but might never solve a big problem of competency in the company, essentially. Mm. Yeah. You know, hearing you speak and even reading the your post, you know, I, I think a lot about strategy and I there's there's a famous saying about you know, strategy without tactics is a daydream and tactics without strategy is a is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> and I think what's really interesting here is uh, in many cases, a business perhaps could have a great strategy. They they could have identified their ambitions they could have identified where they want to play and, and how they want, you know, where they're going to play and how they're going to win. They could have identified their capabilities that are needed. And they could have identified the systems to support the, the, the strategy. But life happens. Problems happen. Oh, yeah. Global issues happen. Um, it, things happen. And I think what is so interesting in the way you have summarized this is this this should be in every cpg leader's toolbox because Absolutely. you know i think many of us could be guilty of this if you you grew up in in kind of a, a larger company and all this stuff is ingrained in you and you don't realize it but you you you're very well versed in annual operating plans you're very well versed in uh, managing a PL, you're very well versed in uh, brand plans. You're, you're well versed in a lot of things, especially if you spend a decade plus in, in these with these uh, brands. However, if if ten percent of the amount of time was spent on what you are talking about, it will help so many companies create value. Right. And I think I think one of the reasons, aside from the fact how well your post was laid out, is, you know, I think the headline of your post or, or you know, on on Twitter was something like, you know, 
we used to get paid $400,000 for a presentation. Let me tell you the seven-step framework and please use it. I just think that is so valuable. And I think this is something that I'm going to personally take a stance on and helping spread this message because I think there's inherent value to be created here in, in the community that I reside in. And I wanna, I wanna help you get that word out. That's that's truly fantastic, Don. I I firmly believe that you know bringing this framework as a tool in the general toolbox of executives will really make a difference. There are situations where you just have to decide in a in the spur moment because you don't have time and it's you know super urgent and totally understand it. But I think in the hectic of our day to day operation, we almost certainly always gravitate towards let's just do something and then see what happens mm. we could take just a, i'm not saying you know let's delay decisions by weeks or months but just taking even you know half an hour to lay out the structure look a few facts online those days is so simple could improve your decision making several orders of magnitude and in a lot of times truly it's worth it no, totally agree. Well, Julie, I wanted to thank you for being on this episode of the CPG View. This was an awesome session. And again, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Likewise, Don. Um, love this podcast and so honored to be on it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the CPG View the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders. Mm-hmm.